to have to excuse us, but God has been too good. And we have enough Holy Ghost sense to give him praise. Y'all, please join me in thanking God for this choir. Come on, give it up. My God. My God. A.V., we're not going to play the video. Everyone, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Now, for our guests among us on today, for our guests among us on today, uh, if you have your devices, your iPhones, or if you happen to have one of those Droid devices, uh, you can get the Uversion app. Uh, it's a free app. And if you already have that, when you open up the Uversion app, you touch the bottom three bars, it says more, and it'll pull up what's called live events. And you click on the live events and you'll see populated there, Greater Bethlehem Baptist Church. You click on that and you can have a digitized copy of our sermon notes. Dr. Flowers, when did you get here? God bless you, my brother. Praise God. Can you come up real quick? Come on, Doc. Come on. Come on. Principal Dr. Flowers. All right. I'm afterwards. 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 Okay. Sir? Morell? Mrs. Morell? I'll let y'all work that out. I'll let y'all work that out. But amen. It's good to see you, my brother. Praise God for your presence here on today. Uh, so I was saying, a digitized copy of the sermon notes, you can find those and you can save those to your device. You can edit them and you can take notes and follow along with us. However, if, you, if you're more traditional, you should have received sermon notes upon entry. So, oh, we got a runner. We got a runner. We got a runner. We got a runner. Clean up on our four. Clean up on our four. We got a runner. Amen. We got a runner. That's that Holy Ghost. Oh! Had a running. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Thumb down to verse 16. Thumb down to verse 16. Y'all did so good. Y'all did so good. Praise God. Praise God. As you always do. Beginning at verse 16. Listen as I read from the Christian Standard Bible. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. We want to preach from one verse, one topic, one word, Jesus. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we 
we pause and praise you and thank you for all that we have experienced thus far. Father, we are confident in who you are. We are, we are faithful in who you are. We are trusting in who you are. Because of you, Lord, we can gather here collectively in a wonderful community of faith. And Father, we're grateful for our friends who have come to join us on today. And Father, we ask for your choicest blessings upon the St. Philip School and Community Center. Father, we're so grateful for the work that they do day in and day out, year in and year out, preparing young minds for the future, ministering to the community with needs of food and, and resources. Father, we're grateful for the light that they are on Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, Father, as we turn our attention to this, your word, I pray that you would grant us intelligent attention to this text. Father, free us from the distraction of technology and personality. Father, may we not be in a hurry to leave this place, but may we, may we take joy as we receive your word in truth. Speak to each of us, Father. Leave no one untouched and allow us on today to leave better than whence we've come. We submit this prayer to you by faith in the name of Jesus. Let everybody say amen. amen. Come on, say amen again. If there is a seat near you, if you don't mind raising your hand, we have some that are attempting to get in. So just raise your hand so they can come on in. Come on in, y'all. We got plenty of good room. Plenty, plenty good room. And worst case scenario, y'all can come up to the choir. It's all good. Come on. Here is a seat or two. We got some on the front row. We have some on the front row. Come on in. Come on in. So glad to have you all here on today. Praise God for your presence. Praise God for your presence. At Greater Bethlehem, we begin every sermon with what is called a message moment. This message moment is important because you may fall asleep while I'm preaching. Just making sure you're listening. Amen. And oftentimes when you leave church, you would say, wow, we had a good time. And someone would say, what did he preach about? I don't know exactly. So the message moment gives you a way to, to carry the message with you. Here is our message moment for today. During difficult seasons, we must remind ourselves of the one who came to heal, save, and deliver. Hashtag Jesus. <laughs> During difficult seasons, we must remind ourselves of the one who came to heal, save, and deliver. Who do you call when life hurts? Who do you call when life hurts? As I've grown and matured as a husband, father, son, brother, and pastor, it has been a spiritual progression as to whom I call in moments of crisis. See, when I was a boy, I used to call my mama. And I would, I would declare, Mama, please help me. I've, I've skint my knee. I've, I have busted my head open. Uh, yeah, that was me. Please, Mama, do something to comfort me during my crisis. As I grew a little older, I called my crew, my homeboys. And we discussed strategically how we're going to get out of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. Can I get a witness already? 
But now when, when life gets dicey, when trouble surrounds me, when people desert me, when I find my back through the wall, and it seems as though those that I would seek to call have put me on call blocker. Those that I would desire to reach out to have unfriended or unfollowed me. Those that I thought would have my back, they don't necessarily dislike me, but they don't have time for me during this season. Y'all, I've grown and I've learned to call on Jesus. Now understand, this is not a cliche, this is not a religious statement. This is a statement based upon the fellowship and the relationship that I share with the life-giver king. I believe it was Andre Crouch who put it this way. He says, through it all, through it all, I've, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. And so as I, as I prepared this message and prepared to, to share with you on today, I was reminded of all those times in my life when Jesus showed up. Oh God, when, when my relationships began to suffer and I was waving the white flag of surrender, Jesus stepped in. Y'all, when I found myself getting ready to get put out of school because I didn't have the money and I cried out to the Lord and, and at just the right moment a check came in the mail, a care package, I called on the name of Jesus. Oh, when, when, when I found myself frustrated with where I was in ministry and in life, rather than whine and complain about it, I turned it over to Jesus. And so I'm here as a representative of the life-giver king to let you know you have tried everything else. Why don't you give Jesus a try? We've tried our careers. We've, we've tried our sororities and our fraternities. We've tried civic organizations. But child of God, I'm here to let you know that Jesus is all right. I'm here to let you know that he can fix it and understand this. He is not some philosophical, uh, a euphorical figment of my imagination. Jesus is real. Oh, oh somebody just help me and say, Jesus. Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus. Jesus. So the context for the text that we're preaching on today, Luke gives us an introduction to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. This pericope begins actually in Luke chapter 3 where we, we witness and experience the, the earthly anointing of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3 verse 21, it says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with, who, with you I am well pleased. At that moment, Jesus was ordained, conferred, and anointed for his earthly ministry. Now understand what's happening here. You have the spirit descending on the son with the voice of the father crying out. In this very verse, we are experiencing the triune Godhead, the trinity of the divine Godhead, right there in verse 21. And so we see in that verse alone why Jesus is unique. But the text is moving in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus goes from baptism to trial. In chapter 4, 4 verse 1, it says, Then 
Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. See, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit to be tempted, to be tested, to be tried. And as a consequence of this temptation of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord Jesus comes out of that with the victory. And for there, we make our way to chapter 4, verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. Jesus returns to Galilee now. But notice the phrase that follows him all along. In the power of the what? Y'all come on, help me preach this. In the power of the what? In the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what he has to empower him to minister. So Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness. And he makes his way back home. As was his custom, he enters the synagogue for worship. He receives the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the Lord Jesus himself intentionally turns to a specific section. He is intentional about communicating, watch this, who he is, who sent him, and why he has come. The text says in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. I want you to pause there and look up at me for just a moment. See, Jesus begins... His supernatural ministry at the locale of his childhood. Jesus comes back home to inaugurate his earthly ministry around the people who know him best. Jesus comes back home to his homeboys, his homegirls, his kinfolk to launch his gospel ministry. He goes back to the beginning, his earthly family. Get ready to write because there's something that's happening in the text and I want you to get this. They are familiar with him but they didn't know him. I wish y'all could help me this morning. They're, they're familiar with him but they didn't they didn't know him. Verse 22 says, they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, ah, isn't this Joseph's son? Have you ever done something that was pretty good, pretty impressive? And then folks turn around and say, but ain't that such and such boy? That ain't nobody but such and such girl. And see, here's what happened. People who know us, they have, they have the tendency to limit the greatness that God has placed inside of us. Child of God, don't let anybody who knows you from back then attempt to put you in a box so that you cannot become the man, woman, boy, or girl that God has called you to be. I told you, they knew him, but they didn't know him. So in a real sense, many of us, we have become so familiar with Jesus that we cease to really know him. We've become so common with Christ that he is no longer the Messiah of the world. He is just a man in a book. See, everyone feels that they know Jesus, 
They know who he is. They know why he came. But yet, when life gets difficult, we call everybody except Jesus. So they, they were familiar with him, but they didn't really, they didn't know him. But the text is moving. So Jesus understands the tension of, of being the local boy with an eternal calling. And I know there's, there's a calling upon your life, child of God. There is something that you have been individually commissioned to do. And you have to get past the people who knew you when. Young people, let me tell you something. Let, let me testify in the midst of, of my sermon. I'm, I'm in no means comparing myself to Jesus. But I grew up in what's called Fifth Ward in Houston, Texas. I got a witness up in here. And y'all, it, it was a very rough neighborhood. And we went from Fifth Ward to Trinity Gardens, which was worse. But here is the point. I had to fight against what was familiar to become the person I knew the Lord had called me to be. And so what happens to so many of us, we get comfortable with the familiar and we forget that we're exceptional. I'm preaching to myself. So, so, so in this text, the only way, the only way to introduce himself was for Jesus to make a bold declaration. Jesus is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And by the way, this is a messianic prophecy. He, he, is, he is granted the scroll of Isaiah and Jesus intentionally turns to Isaiah 61 and 1. And he begins to read, and it's found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Look at what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, here's what I need for you to understand. Jesus clearly communicates that that verse has been manifested with his life. He said, I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. As you hear me read this, says Jesus, this is being made known now. So what did he say about himself? Well, the first thing is said about this messianic prophecy is this. He has God's spirit. I need you to get that down. God's spirit. As a matter of fact, help me teach this. Somebody say God's spirit. It opens up verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. And if you haven't forgotten, when you go back to Luke chapter 3 and 21, Luke chapter 4 and 1, Luke chapter 4 and 14, it communicates the fact that Jesus was operating under the unction and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now understand this, Jesus is fully God and fully man. But yet he had the Spirit of God empowering him. Why? Because Luke wants us to know that we can do wonderful things when we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I know you have intelligence. I know you have wisdom. I know you got some power. But child of God, when you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, 
When you tap into the power of the one who enables you to do what God has called you to do, there ain't no stopping you. When you know that the Spirit of God rests upon your life, empowers you day to day, child of God, you can move mountains. Jesus said, the Spirit is on me. But he doesn't stop there. He said, it's not only God's Spirit, secondly, he says, God's message. Get that down, y'all. God's message. What then is God's message? Look at your text. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. What is God's message, Pastor Brown? God's message is the good news. God's message is the gospel. Here it is. God's love manifested in a risen Savior to redeem those who believe. Y'all, that's the good news. And I am a living witness that God's good news is in fact good. In this day and age, y'all, we need some good news. Because what happens with the trials and challenges of life, we can forget that we actually have some good news. Now, this doesn't mean we get to stick our heads in the sand and, and pretend what's happening isn't happening. But let me tell you something. You have to have an anchor with which to hold. And that anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Somebody say God's spirit. Say God's message. Thirdly, the recipient of this messianic prophecy would give God's deliverance. God's, God's deliverance is right there in the text. It says, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Child of God, Jesus came to set us free. Pastor Brown, come on. Come on, this is some... Some lofty stuff you're talking about. Yeah, he came to set us free. And here is what I love. There is nothing that Jesus can't set us free from. I don't care what it is that has you bound. I don't care what it is that has you frustrated. I don't, I don't care what it is that seems to defeat you day in and day out. I'm here as a living witness to testify that he's a mind regulator. I'm here to testify he's a heart fixer. I'm here to testify he's a way maker. Jesus came to set the captives free. Free from the stronghold of the enemy. Free from the bondage of our sin. Free from the spirits that seek to hold us hostage. Galatians 5 and 1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. And so I'm here today to challenge you. Trust that Jesus is who he said he is. And trust that he can do what he said he can do. God's Spirit. Somebody say God's Spirit. God's Spirit. Somebody say God's message. God's message. Say God's deliverance. God's then fourthly, we see God's justice. It's right here in the text. This is Jesus talking about himself. 
He says, to set free the oppressed. To set free the oppressed. And what I love about this is the Lord doesn't put any disclaimers on those that he's willing to set free. You just have to be oppressed. So those who have made provisions and excuses for injustice are the same ones who attempt to hijack justice, to set free the oppressed. This is what Jesus is saying about himself. Let me clarify a few things. Biblical justice is not Peter Pan theology. Biblical justice is not robbing from the rich or the powerful to give it to the poor. Biblical justice does not diminish or dilute the salvific work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Biblical justice releases the oppressed that can be spiritually, that can be physically, or any other oppression that has you bound or bent over. Let's just testify. Is there anybody in the house? that has ever experienced the deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have, say yes! Woo! So what he's communicating here is this. I have come to give you what you need. I have come to provide for you in a way that you are unable to provide for yourself. See, here's what I need for all of us to understand. If we could save ourselves, we would. If we could deliver ourselves, we would. But thanks be to God for the one who sets us free. Somebody say God's spirit. God's message. God's deliverance. God's justice. Lastly, God's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> See, the first advent of Christ was to bring favor. Because if you handle your scripture, you'll know that Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 doesn't end where Jesus ended it. The second part of that verse says, and the day of God's, of our God's vengeance. But Lord Jesus stopped where he stopped. Because this first advent, this first coming of Christ was to bring the favor of the Lord. But he's coming back again. <laughs> Y'all excuse these, these saints because we're excited to know that he is coming back. But his second trip will not be like his first. His first trip was for favor, but his second trip is for judgment. Now, I'm not trying to make you scared or make you mad. I'm just trying to give you the truth of the text. But you can take some comfort in knowing that he's coming back. And you can rejoice in knowing that when he comes, He's coming for you and for me. So understand God's favor manifested through our Messiah, Jesus Christ, brings us salvation, deliverance, peace, and holiness. 
And holiness meaning set apart, meaning whole, complete. One of the things I wrestled with as I grew up was feelings of inadequacy. Feelings that I had to have something to make me whole. And some of y'all can testify with me. That we bought into the world's philosophy that I got to buy this and, and do this and, and have this. And as I opened in my sermon, I told you I've grown, I've matured, and I'm discovering that all that stuff that I put on will eventually perish. And the only thing that's going to last would be those things that are eternal. So understand, Jesus' words in this verse, in this passage, they are both immediate and eternal. He, he, his salvation starts now, but it works throughout eternity. Give God a hand of praise right there. So back to your hand. Now, there is then to be no doubt that Jesus is speaking about himself. He is this promised Messiah that was long waited for. He is the one that they've been seeking and searching and waiting for. Look at verses 20 and 21. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen. This scripture has been fulfilled. I am the one. I, I am I am the one. I, I'm, I'm trying to hunk this off, but 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 I am the one. I, I, I know you've been waiting, I know, I know you've been seeking and searching and and, and I get that, says Jesus, but I need for you to know, you don't need to look any further. Jesus is declaring, I am the one. And let, let me be clear, can't nobody else make that claim. Ah, but, but, but unfortunately, those who thought they knew him, ah, refused to receive him. See, their Messiah could not be this common. Their Messiah couldn't be Joseph's boy. Their Messiah couldn't be Mary's son. They rejected Jesus, but here is the why. My last thing, and I'm going to let you go. They rejected him because the Lord Jesus came for all people. Not just a specific group. Get ready to write. The gospel is for all who believe and receive. The gospel is for all who believe and receive. Of course, he as a Jew came first for the Jews. But the Lord Jesus used two references in this, this topic. And in those two references, there is an emphasis on coming to Gentiles. And that's what made the Jews in this passage upset. Because Jesus let them know that, listen, if you're not going to receive me, then I'm going to go to the ones who will. Oh, God. And, and as the text goes on, listen, they get so mad at him, y'all, that, 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 that they were enraged. In verse 
29, they drove him up and out of town. They brought him to the edge of the cliff of their town that they, that they were getting ready to hurl him over the cliff. Verse 30 says, but he passed right through the crowd. I'm finished. And he went on his way. See, they tried to kill him then, but it wasn't his time to die. Y'all, I'm trying to close this, but I need for you to understand the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all, he has come to save those who believe and receive him as Lord and Savior. I need a little help up in here. Is there a witness in the house that can testify that he's a Savior? That can testify that he's a fixer? That can testify that he makes your better days better than they used to be? But look at what happens in the text. They tried to kill him in chapter 4, but they didn't understand it wasn't his time to die. See, there is no kingdom without a crown. There is no crown without a victory. And there is no victory without a cross. The old Baptist preacher said he died on an old rugged cross. He died until the sun refused to shine. He died until the soldier said, Surely uh, this is the Son of God. Have I got a witness? Give your neighbor a high five and said, He died for you and for me. But my Bible tells me that on the third day he rose uh, with all power in his hands. And as I read a little bit further, I can testify that he got power, power that make you walk right, power that make you talk right, power that make you live right. Is there a witness in the house that can testify that he's got Power, power, power. Bless his name, bless his name. That's all I got. Bless him. Come on and bless him. Come on and bless him. Come on and bless him. Glory, glory, glory. 